Do you get angry? More importantly, maybe, how do you deal with your anger? And has recovery helped you to be less angry or maybe just to let it out more gently? Welcome to episode 182 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Melissa and Tamlin. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Melissa and Tamlin, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today, and joining me as co-host is Pat. Welcome, Pat. Hi, Spencer. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic, anger. Following a short break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about how we practice these principles in all our affairs. We'll follow that with your email or voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast before closing. A few weeks ago, Amy wrote to suggest this topic, saying, I also wanted to ask if you would consider doing an episode on anger. I haven't found one on your show yet. This is something I struggle with daily, by the hour some days. Living in a home of addiction that is secretive, high-functioning, and covered in lies both spoken and unspoken, and a home with two little children, both younger than five, who attest the patience and emotional stability of even the most sober or ism-free homes. I find my anger unmanageable and often likely misdirected, which is to say that I feel my children bear the brunt of it. It would be great to hear some experience, strength, and hope that may help me to navigate how to be the mom, wife, and woman I'm working to be. And so here we are. And you note that we almost all get angry at some time or, or another. So the, I think the question that we have to really face is, how do we deal with it? How do we express it, or do we express it? Um, how does it come out? That certainly, for me, has has changed a lot. You ask, were you allowed to get angry as a child? And, and that's an interesting question. I, I bet you have something to say about it. Anger was just a bad thing. And I think that's one of the first things that I think about when I when I was really meditating on this topic. It was It was pretty interesting because... When I think on a single topic for lots of days, there's all different aspects of it that come up. Part of it is anger is just another feeling. It's like fear. We just need to, we need to be able to acknowledge it. We need to be, it's okay to be angry. It's what we do with that anger that we need to, that's, you know, whether we feel good about ourselves or not. And when I was a kid, I think anger was from, from the religion that I was brought up and it was considered a bad thing. You were never supposed to be angry. And kind of consequently, my parents didn't really ever teach me any coping mechanisms for being angry or how to respond to that appropriately. Not that I actually, I don't remember that. And I feel like that was, those are some tools that I could have used moving into my adult life. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to think back, you know, it was a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do remember sort of screaming, stomping, slamming doors as as something that I did on occasion. 
So I, I assume that I, I was expressing some anger at that point. <laughs> I think as I got a little bit older into sort of my teen years, there were situations or people that I was angry about or at that I didn't feel safe to express. I was as a, as a high school student bullied somewhat. And at that time, you know, the, the, the schools did not have this focus on anti-bullying that we've seen in the last few, several years. It was just something that happened. And I guess we were just supposed to deal with it. I don't know. At least that was the message I got. I think I was angry at the, the people who were, who were bullying me, but I had no safe way to express that anger. And I really, I really don't know how it came out or if I just stuffed it and, and held onto it for, for later. And probably it, it, it then, as I discovered much later in life, um, when I stuff anger, it, it squirts out in other directions eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I forgot that, that we had an opening reading and, uh, I think this is actually a good place to to put it in because it it starts with childhood. And this is from Discovering Choices, which, you know, that's one of those that's about, well, I don't know if it's the only book that I don't have, but I don't have that book. And people keep finding wonderful readings and quotes from it. And I really have to get it. And none of the meetings that I go to have it in their literature. So I think I just have to order it. I I really like the readings from Discovering Choices because um, for me, I was reading some of the readings from Courage to Change and Hope for Today, and there's a lot of great readings on anger there. Discovering Choices is a little different because the stories of the format, the stories can be longer. So you get a better sense of kind of the background and some of the processing that goes through for folks who are sharing um, kind of more about the why of the anger and the background of it. And then Mm -hmm how they process through using different tools to deal with that anger in that situation. So this is from Discovering Choices, page 11. My first sponsor asked me how I felt, but I didn't know. Ever since I was a little boy, I had been told how to feel by my family. I took a consensus, and that's how I felt. It took a lot of courage to begin to feel my own emotions. I heard a man say that for most men... Emotions are the slimy things you find when you lift up a rock. That really rang true for me. My sponsor said my feelings are mine and I have a right to feel them. What's really important is what I do with them. I have the right to be angry, but I don't have the right to be verbally or physically abusive. I often find that the root of my anger with someone else is a problem I have yet to address within myself. Yeah, I like that reading, and it it speaks to me, and... In a couple of different ways, I know that that I have done that sort of consensus feeling thing, um, although in a sort of a different way that that I don't like go with what somebody tells me my feelings should be, but I want validation of the way I feel. So I want you to feel the way I feel so that I can feel it, if that makes any sense at all. It sounds like kind of seeking approval. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a codependent thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, seeking approval, exactly. And I don't think anger is one of those things that, unfortunately, can get validated in that way very often. So the second part here is is the root, 
the root of anger. And he goes a little broader. Um, this is good. This is interesting. My root of my anger with someone else is a problem I have yet to address within myself. I find that at least when I get that sort of sudden anger, it often is based in a fear. And that fear is also frequently a fear of being insufficient in some way. Mm-hmm. I remember an incident a few years ago where somebody at work was asking me to do something and I just really didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how, I didn't know how, I, I knew how to do what I thought I needed to do, but I didn't know how to do what they were asking me to do. And so first thought is, well, this is not a reasonable thing to ask me. <laughs> okay. And second thought is, I'm angry at you for asking me to do this thing that I don't know how to do. And unfortunately, that anger came out in the interaction with the person. And luckily, we were both mature adults enough to be able to actually later talk about it and work work through what was going on. That does come down to what the what the reading says, a problem I have yet to address within myself, which is when I'm not sure how to do something, I get angry at the person who asked me to do it. I, I sort of turn it around instead of instead of looking within and saying, "Okay, I don't know how to do this right now. What? How can I move forward on this?" I I, I react by saying, "No, I don't want to do this." And why the heck are you asking me to do this? And just go away. Yeah. So yeah, uh, what what thoughts does this reading bring up for you? Well, I, I what you're talking about kind of reminds me of what I was thinking of is kind of a defensive anger, and it's it's really tied to low self-esteem and, and a strong, what I, I kind of was thinking about, it, I've made up a term other, other self-esteem or other esteem. And it's like my self-esteem wasn't strong and my self-esteem depended on what others thought of me. Mm-hmm. So when I felt other people were being critical or judgmental and they weren't necessarily lots of times I was taking things personally that I didn't have to, but any time I perceive that there is any potential criticism or any potential judgment or fault finding, or I wasn't perfect, and so this ties into perfectionism, then I wasn't good enough. I wasn't lovable. I wasn't, you know, I didn't have a higher power that I had a good, solid relationship with where I had unconditional love. And so any kind of criticism was perceived as, as you know, it was just a reinforcement that I just wasn't good enough. And then anger was this reactionary lashing out at the other person. You know, I was, I was hurt on this very deep, unconscious, really not a barely conscious level. And my reaction was to lash out at the other person. And so that was in the context of my first marriage um, and the primary alcoholic in my life. He was very talented as time went on at at pushing those buttons. He knew exactly kind of which button to push to get me angry. And I think that kind of led into that cycle of then he had an excuse to drink. As I got into Al-Anon, and and actually right before I got into Al-Anon, I started recognizing that pattern. And if we were talking and we'd start heading kind of down the rabbit hole before the got too steep I just say hey you know I'm gonna excuse myself here and <laughs> I'll let you I'll let you uh give me a call if you need something but 
I, I'm not going to stick around right now. I think, I think we're heading towards an argument. But it took a long time to see that. And, and of course, it wasn't just in that relationship. I mean, that was all over the place. It was in my work situations. I can think of a couple work situations, which I'm really surprised I wasn't called on the carpet because it was really inappropriate. Been there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if, if I think, if I move forward from pre-alcoholism into the period of active alcoholism in my family, I became a very angry person. I became a rageful person and I didn't know why. Somebody would say something, somebody would do something, and I would just explode. This happened several times at work, and I did get generally called on it by, by my boss, and what the heck's going on here? Oh, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. And then it would happen again. Eventually got to the point where during one of my annual reviews, my boss said, I, I really think you need to go do some anger management work because this is not acceptable and we can't have you doing this. I think, I'm really trying to remember what when that was. I think it was sh maybe shortly after I had started the Al-Anon program. And so I felt like, well, I am working on it, but I can't really tell you, well, I'm in a 12-step program and I'm working on it there. Um, so I just said, yeah, okay, that sounds good. Um, I'll look into that. It came out, as as one of our uh, correspondents says, we'll read in a moment, it came out on my children. It came out a lot on my children because, you know, children do things that might spark a little annoyance. And for me, that little annoyance turned into a full-pledged screaming, pounding on the table episode. I think I've said this before, but, you know, spilling a little bit of milk on the table. Like, what the heck are you doing? Pound, pound my fist, something else falls over. Oh, now I'm more angry. Pound my fist some more. Uh, I look back and I'm like, what kind of a person was I? Well, I was a person who was trying to deal with something that I couldn't deal with. That I had, did not have the tools to deal with. Uh, and I didn't have any way to let it out. I didn't have any place where I could express the frustration and the anger and the fear and the despair that, that was in me. And so it just piled up and piled up and then, you know, a little, little leak sprung and boom, out it comes. Mm -hmm. I, I can look back and say, that's what I was doing. It doesn't excuse what I was doing. I was, as we say, I was, I was doing the best that I could with what I had at the time and I needed new tools. I needed a new way to deal I also would, would get into occasional screaming matches with my wife, who was the alcoholic in my life at the time. But those never came out well. Those never relieved anything for me because, as, as you probably know, it's really hard to argue with a practicing alcoholic when they're practicing. Mm -hmm. You can't get, at least I couldn't, quote, get anywhere. I'd think we're getting somewhere and, and then she'd just cycle back to the beginning. Mm. And so I sort of stopped even letting it come out on her because it just, it didn't help, you know, <laughs> just, it almost just made it worse. When you're talking about that, Spencer, it reminds me of kind of another time that I get angry. <laughs> it's appalling how many different ways I managed to get angry in times. But one of the big things before I came to the program was when other people didn't do what I wanted to do. 
And I think that was really a lot of controlling and manipulating on my part. I was busy trying to deal with this, this, you know, life that was not what I thought it was supposed to be, wasn't in control, but I didn't have any way of really assessing it or thinking about it or looking at it in a way that was useful. And so I was busy trying to make things work, make things happen, do things the right way, be the perfect person. And in the process was trying to control my kids, my husband, everything. So when people didn't do things the way I wanted them to do them, you know, the way I wanted them to, that was another time that my anger would come out. And I really empathize with Amy because I, you know, I was in that position with two kids who are younger and growing up. And I, I think she's actually ahead of the game. I understand how really maybe trapped she feels right now and how hard it is to think that she's going to find a way that redirects that anger or makes that anger less or manageable. I didn't find recovery until my youngest child was 16. And it's still really, it's hard to realize that just like you, that I let my kids live, grow up in this household with alcoholism all that time. And and much of it, I couldn't really put my finger on because it was very well hidden for a long time. I have a sponsee whose children are younger, and I think it's just so hopeful and so wonderful when someone with younger children is in the program, because as you work your program, you'll find tools that are going to help you be a better parent, a better spouse. A, you know, you'll have the program in your life. And I, I wish I had been able to do that for my kids when they were young. Yeah. What I can see right now are the really wonderful relationships I have with both of them. And a lot of that is because I've been able to use the tools in my relationships with them as young adults. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, there's so much. There's so much we could talk about. (laughs) (laughs) So we got an email from Diana, and I think I might have read the email last week, and I just wanted to come back to this couple of sentences here. She says, I would love to hear you talk more about unresolved emotion, specifically the way emotion stays in our tissues when unexpressed eventually turning into sickness, and to delve into how to process and validate the anger. This is something I'm finally allowing myself to feel after 20 years, and I've discovered that all the depression was truly anger and also deep hurt. And I think we've touched a little bit on the way that unresolved emotions turn into, as you say, sickness and and anger, and then color our lives in so many ways. So moving a little bit into the solution here, I as I say, I came into Al-Anon angry, hurt, fearful, despairing, and I sort of knew how angry I was, but I also didn't know how angry I was because it, it, had, it had crept up on me gradually, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know how long it was that, that I was in the program. My outbursts got further and further apart, and that pool of unresolved stuff that I had stuffed down got smaller and smaller. And I, I can't say that there was this one thing that did it, but I think a lot of it was just being in a place with other people who 
understood who had been there in some way or another. And where it was safe for me to talk about these feelings. And, I, you know, I talked about them some. I mean, I think I probably talked just about every meeting I went to. But what is that? You know, three minutes, five minutes at most? You know, you, you don't get very deep in three to five minutes. And I talked to talked some to program friends, certainly in more depth. But I think just sort of being validated was was a was a big part of that. And knowing that if if there was something, I could bring it to a meeting and I could find something in that meeting to help move forward to resolve to at least validate what what was going on. And my rage just you know, like it evaporated or dissolved or something. I think being validated was a big part of it. Yeah, for me, I think my anger started becoming much less frequent as I worked with my sponsor. Anger was such, it was, it was a symptom. And, and the causes of my anger were different in different situations, but they were, they were pretty deep. And it was in working through the steps with my sponsor that, that I was really able to start looking at those because, you know, as I developed that relationship with my sponsor, I'd have something during my week where I might have an event like that. And I had developed that trust with her. I could bring that to her and not have a lot of shame around it. I could have regret or I have a concern. I could want to work through it. I could want to not react the same way the next time I was in a similar situation. And I could bring those to her and work with her on those things. And that was really important. I think that was critical to my processing it. And the other thing was the tools of pause and what's my part in it. Let it begin with me. Think slowly, you know, that the beauty of the program is that it is one day at a time, one step at a time. And even if you don't make that behavior change today, you realize it after the fact, it could be another five or 10 events. And then I'd start seeing a little change, these little tiny changes. But it was so important for me to get to that place where I, I was yeah, using those tools, I mean, I, I can remember really tiny little steps when just stopping and saying, you know, what is my part in this? Pulling it out, because I think anger often is associated with taking someone else's inventory. Mm. Well, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> so if I went back and said, what's my part in it? That turned the finger away from the other person. Mm-hmm. And, and that was really helpful. Yep. So Sue wrote about anger also. I think she hits in here on some of the tools that that helped me, and maybe you could read that. Sue writes regarding anger. First, let me say thank you for being in my life now. I just found you yesterday and listened to my first podcast about keeping it simple today. I only discovered Al-Anon about three weeks ago and have been in an active search for tools to help me find a new life. I had the opportunity to become angry recently, and I read about awareness, acceptance, and action. I realized that the underlying feelings were frustration, disappointment, and fear of the future in a situation I had no control over. I'm sorry to say I reacted in the old pattern at first, but because I practiced letting go and letting goodness, which is my higher power, 
I came to be able to forgive and apologize for my unkind behavior and words. That left me free to feel serene and peaceful for that day. And the situation resolved itself two days later. The principles of this program really do work if you are mindful of what is happening and use your program tools to build a better you. Thank you for listening, Sue. One of the things that, well, three weeks, I mean, wow. <laughs> One of the things that I picked up very early was was let go. Mm-hmm. For me, I think I think that may be one of the fundamental parts of relieving my anger, because if I could let go, then I wasn't stuffing. Mm-hmm. And I think finding these tools for either letting go or resolving a situation, a, an emotion in the moment means that I don't stuff it. So it's not just being able to get the old hurts out, but it's also a, a big part of it was about not putting new hurts in. Mm-hmm. You know, she talks about a bunch of tools here, awareness, acceptance, and action, looking at the underlying feelings, recognizing no control. Wow. I mean, that is the place that still gets me. If I feel I have no control, um, I reach for that control. I still reach for that control. Well, it's happened recently. I was made aware of it this week, the way in which I was reacting to a situation in which I felt a little bit out of control, maybe a lot out of control, not sure. So a little bit of background. Starting a new big project at work. I'm working on part of that with a team of five or six people. There's a lot in there that we have to get done and a lot of planning of how we're going to do it. And that's basically I'm responsible for laying out the plan and making sure the work gets done. And there's a lot of stuff that I think I understand, but I don't know for sure about, about what we're going to be doing. And so I've been feeling a little bit out of control. You know, I don't have this all nailed down. Once we get going, I think I'll be fine. But right now at the beginning when we're still figuring out what we're going to do and how we're going to do it and what order we're going to do it in and what are the most important things to do first and blah, 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 blah. Okay, you can hear. I get a little uh, a little hyper about it. I'm feeling out of control. And a colleague said, hey, can we talk for a minute? I'm like, okay, you know, go in the conference room and close the door. Okay, what's going on? And she said, I've noticed recently that when somebody comes to you with a question, you often interrupt them halfway through the question and try to answer it. And you may not be answering the question they're actually asking. You know, you're ans- answering the question you think they're asking. And I was like, oh. And, and she said, and this is recent. You know, you haven't, you haven't been doing this before. When I thought about it, when I looked at my part, um, I realized that this is coming straight out of this feeling of being out of control. You know, I want, want to deal with things as quickly as possible so I can get back to this stuff that I still am, I'm not in control of. And it's not exactly quite anger, but it's a cousin. This feeling of, you're taking my time and I want to deal with it right now, so I'm not even going to let you finish what you're saying before I butt in and, and tell you what I think so that we can be done with this and I can get back to the thing that I'm feeling frustrated about. Being able to receive that message from my coworker, I hope will then make me aware. Um, I'd be, I'm aware that this behavior is happening and, and I accept why it's happening. 
Um, and now I can try to take action and be aware of when it's about to happen and hopefully not open my mouth. There's a lot of practice in not opening my mouth in this program. So that's my thoughts about what Sue had to say. How about you? Springboarding, I had also realized as the week went on that when I get irritated, it's just anger on a smaller scale. Um, yeah. So when I find myself getting irritated with what somebody says, yeah, kind of on a related note, when I'm feeling backed, so powerlessness is really, I think that's like a key trigger to anger a lot of times is powerlessness. And when I feel backed into a corner, I feel like I'm being pushed to do something that it's not just that I don't want to do, but but really doesn't feel right for whatever reason or something I have a really strong emotional attachment to. Um, again, that's when I'm likely to lash out because I'm feeling really powerless and, and being forced or pushed into doing something I don't want to do um, or it doesn't feel right. And it's hard when those emotions are running high to, to take that step down and recognize that it's okay to say no to the person. It's okay. I think there's a reading somewhere that, that's commonly read in our meetings. It, and you end up saying, it's, it's like, let me, or maybe it was you that said it. Let me get back to you on that. You know, you don't have to give them an answer right now. You can say, well, that's from you, Spencer. Let me get back to you on that. And I love that. That's really something that was a subtle lesson from Al-Anon is that, yes, living in the moment is important, but not every problem has to be fixed right now. And it is okay to let problems and issues resolve over time. So paradoxically, it's important to live in the moment, but at the same time, it's also important to give myself the room to work through issues in a fashion that that is on the right timeline for me. And that gives me call the time to call someone or get gain perspective or do some reading or whatever other tools I need to reach for before I come up with an answer. Yeah, and I think that really that ties in with the awareness, acceptance, and action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that my old behavior was to go straight from awareness to action, mm-hmm. which is, I guess that's called reaction, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. We got one more voicemail here from Carrie about anger. Hi, Spencer and everybody. This is Carrie from Texas. I just listened to the latest episode and was inspired to call and leave a voicemail. So I'm doing that. Yeah, that topic of anger, that's a really big one for me. So for me, I grew up with, um, it was just me and my mom. I actually learned that there's a difference between anger and rage. And I learned that once at a workshop and um, someone said, um, yeah, there's healthy anger. And I raised my hand and I was like, what? That sounds crazy. (laughs) And so that was really interesting to me. That was the first kind of layer of the onion. And then what helped me really find peace for myself was distinguishing that when I feel angry, it's a feeling that can pass through that I'm not consumed by it. And then that really connected to me as a kid. My mother's anger slash rage felt really scary to me and like it would kind of consume me. 
there was so much fear around it. And so as an adult, I don't want to do that. And so I would like push it down, my anger personally. Like I don't want to do that because that's awful to express anger. And so I push it down and then it would come out sideways, like come out when I really didn't want it to. And then that would scare me. Like this is not something I want to be doing. Why am I exhibiting this? So really distinguishing that if I'm feeling anger, that it's not all of me, that I'm still, there's still so many parts to me. And then also it reminds me of when I really started practicing just observing myself and that kind of the same thing that, you know, I have different emotions that come and that I'm just identifying it when it's happening. Like it's a little bit of a separation, I guess, maybe a little bit of detaching so that I can observe myself. And, you know, I, I notice that my body gets really tense and I feel really hot and I and I feel like I have to act. I feel like I have to. I don't, but I, that's a feeling. And that, um, you know, I really need to remove myself and ideally, if I can, you know, get outside because that space, um, I can ground better. Um, when I'm outside. I just need time to cool off and to process, you know, taking a pause um, if I need to be in communication with somebody, just kind of excuse myself. You know, let's talk about this later or, yeah, just somehow politely excuse myself. And, and it can take me, you know, minutes to days, honestly, to, for, my, for me to get clear on where, how I feel about, you know, that certain thing. And also with anger, when I look back, because I'm coming up on two years um, in Al-Anon, when I look back, it really, what has helped so much is Al-Anon and for me, yoga. Because yoga is a place for me to meet myself however I am that day. Sometimes it's really fun and sometimes it's really tender. You know, I feel like I might, you know, tears are closed or you know, wherever I might be, um, and it's, you know, like self-care and all of it. So with time, you know, just kind of plugging away, going to as many meetings as I can, listening to this podcast, using all the tools that I have, um, texting with my Al-Anon friends, you know, staying in contact, um, regular contact with my sponsor, um, working my steps. It just has lifted um, I just am not, you know, as quick to get angry anymore. And for so for all those newcomers, that sounds so evasive, I think, you know, or it did to me. Like, that sounds really good, but I don't know if I can get that, you know. I feel confident that I could almost promise, you know, that, you know, it works if we work it. Um, and being gentle with ourselves, you know, if we can't always get to meetings, you know, for a couple of weeks, it's okay just know where the meetings are and that we'll get there, you know, we'll get back to them as soon as we can. Those are the things I think is, you know, just being aware of it and gentle with myself around it. And I guess it's also the word curious too. So yeah, I hope that helps. And I'm really looking forward to the episode because, you know, there's, I would, I would say the word shame is really big. Also as a woman, I can't speak <laughs> what it's like for men, but um, as a woman, it feels really maybe like taboo, unacceptable, unattractive, un, you know, really not 
not what women kind of quote unquote should be doing, you know, asserting our opinion, being angry, that kind of thing. So there, that I think is also an important part of it. And then, you know, that anger can also serve us that, you know, it's like if I, if I notice like, whoa, that's, I'm feeling, you know, angry right now. Okay. Let me pause. Let me figure out why. But, you know, it's like a, it's information. So it can be really helpful and serve us as well. So that's what I wanted to share about anger. I picked up a, a whole bunch of things in, in there, but maybe you want to talk about what you heard first. Oh, there was, there were so many tools, <laughs> but I think she's really right. You know, when you, when you're coming at it from the beginning, it's hard to imagine that, that that's going to change. And so much changes when you're working the program. And I think that ties back into not making any big changes in commitments or relationships or your life that we always advise people to hold off on those for the first six to 12 months, because because you're going to be doing a lot of growth and a lot of changing and, and it changes the way you look at things and maybe some of the choices you make. One of the things that she said early was that anger is an emotion that, that can pass through. When I think about that, I think about, you know, anger usually starts out really hot and then kind of cools off and it can cool off in two different ways for me. It can cool off and it just you know, sort of dissipates as it cools off sort of momentary I'm really mad at this guy who cut me off on the road, but then I can let it go. Or I can stuff it and it can get cold and hard and icy. And that's what was happening with the you know anger about the alcoholic situation and some other things in my life. She talked about detachment, about not feeling like you have to act and recognizing that sometimes you don't. But detaching from herself so that she could look at what was going on from the outside. And that, that to me also echoes with what Sue had to say about what's, what's underlying this, this anger. How do I step back and see where this is coming from? And then I think you had talked about the pause and she talked about the pause also. Um, but the other, the other thing that she brought up that I don't think we we have mentioned here yet is the value of having some spiritual practices to center herself, which I think helps with all these other things. If I can get myself calm and centered, then it's a lot easier for me to apply these tools. You you mentioned in your notes here when you're kind of writing down that different things you referred to also self-care. And that was something I was thinking about it. We have that the halt, hungry, am I hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? And I thought, wait a minute. If I'm hungry, lonely, or tired, I'm a lot more likely to be angry. So I think self-care really is an important aspect of that, of preventing it. So true. Um, and she talked about reaching out mm -hmm. to sponsor or other Al-Anon friends, other program friends, or you know, other supports. I still like to isolate when I'm not feeling good. I want to go crawl in a corner and stew in it. That's generally not the way for me to get through something. And that's part of that shame she was mentioning too, is if you're ashamed of it, if you don't, if it's not okay to feel angry, then, then you're more likely to isolate and it's harder to call somebody up and say, Oh, I just really blew up at somebody and I really, 
want to talk it out. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. That is something that, that going to meetings and, and having a sponsor and, and just having friends in the program that I can talk to has really helped with that I can, I can admit these things that I would, I would have just totally hidden out of shame earlier in my life. And I can admit them and I can open up and then I can deal with them. So, so much in there. Thank you. Thank you, Carrie, for that. We have talked about a lot of tools. Do, we, do you have other tools that, that are helpful to you? You expressed this in two different questions here. What are tools of the program to help me deal with anger in the moment? And what tools of the program help me work on the root cause? So, so one of the things that helps me, a tool that really helps me keep from heading down the path in the first place is the keep it simple. And I, I liked how it tied in with your theme from last week, but especially with this holiday season, mm-hmm. I find myself having a day off and, or even on the evenings of a day that I've worked and I've got a list of an outrageous number of things that I have to do. And if anything stops that up, you know, these, it just makes for a very incredibly tense time and anything slows me down or what if I don't get everything done on my list and you know all that tension just makes a just hair trigger for anger when when some little thing doesn't go quite right you know when the person in front of you stops at the stoplight instead of going through the yellow or whatever you know <laughs> and and I find that that unrealistic expectations of myself or of others is a, is a real um, setup for anger. The other thing is I, I kind of find that they're slow burning angers too. So there's this one that you kind of carry around with you and you pull it out and you rub it every once in a while, kind of like, you know, putting your fingernail on a cut and it, you know, you just kind of sit there and, and numb on it. And, and those ones are really tied to resentment for me. Mm-hmm. So letting go and letting go of baggage we're again working the steps and and figuring out what's in your own hula hoop. That's one we haven't mentioned. It's what's in my hula hoop. What is mine to own? Um, a lot of times, the situation actually that I might be getting angry about isn't even mine to own, mm. and I I can detach, and that that ties into detachment. And then I think some of the yeah, I think detachments are really good one for for in the moment. That's a good good one that that helps at the, at the time. There were a couple other thoughts I had that were kind of related to anger, but not about our anger. It was when other people are angry Mm. and it was one of the readings. I can't remember if it was encouraged to change or if it was in um, discovering choices, but they, it talked about someone tells a story about someone getting angry when they're in the car driving with them and they, you know, try to make it all better and try to fix things and figure out what they did wrong and why were they angry. And and then they just decided, well, you know, I'm just going to be quiet. And that didn't make any difference at all. And what they realized was the anger wasn't about them at all. And the person who they were driving with that was getting angry didn't even notice. It didn't matter how they reacted. So she was just quiet and she's she's much more serene that way. So when someone else is angry at us or around us, it's it's not always about us. Um, and then 
the other thing I think that's associated with that, of course, is if someone's angry and they're dangerous, we need to use that as a red flag for our safety. Mm-hmm. And if, if, you know, if we're in a relationship with someone who might hurt us or has hurt us in the past, we really need to take care of ourselves and make sure that we have a safe place to go to. And we're not staying in that abusive relationship or abusive space, dangerous place. That is definitely true. So I'm going to look at this, what tools help me work on the root cause. I think you touched on this. You you spoke about working with your sponsor. The scary inventory step helped me to identify, as you say, help me to identify what was mine to own, what was not mine. And also, I think to recognize when, I'm trying to think how to put this, basically recognize when I know what it comes to. It comes to the things I cannot change. Mm-hmm. It is not helpful for me to be angry about something that I can't or couldn't do anything about. I can be angry about something that somebody else does because they didn't do what I wanted them to do. Things didn't turn out the way I wanted them to turn out. But in fact, if it was a situation where I really didn't even have any input into what happened, I didn't have any control over what they did. It's not helpful. And I think practicing the tools of inventory and of, you know, asking for our own shortcomings to be relieved helps me to distinguish between things that are mine that I can actually do something about and things that are not mine that I can't do anything about. And then I can use, you know, a prayer and meditation to to bring me to a place where I'm able to let go of the need to change something that's already happened that that I couldn't have affected anyway. And especially, I think, learning to let go of my anger at myself for things I did in the past mm-hmm. by recognizing that I can't go back and change it. Mm-hmm. It's one of the principles of the program for me that that I can't change what happened in the past, but I can change how I behave in the future. I can change my actions and my attitudes. I can't change what, what already happened. That helps me to relieve anger over stuff that happened in the past. And it helps me to, just doing the inventory helps me to start to see what, what my root causes are, where my fears are, where my disappointments are, where my frustrations are that are, that are turning into anger. I think it's in a reading somewhere. I know I've heard it said in the rooms that anger is almost always a secondary emotion. It's almost always coming from something else. Recognizing that and being able to to take some time to inventory, uh, to say, what's under this? I'm angry. Why am I angry? Well, I'm angry because so-and-so did such-and-such, and I don't like it. Well, why don't I like what they did? Well... Because I wanted to, you know, and and I can keep asking why, and that will bring me down to, well, I'm afraid that I won't get what I want. I'm afraid that somebody else will get hurt. Okay, now my anger is coming out of fear. Now I can look at that fear, and I can do a fear inventory, and I can I can then ask my higher power to to help me with the fear, to help me see what I can do to relieve the fear, to help me see what other things I might be able to do about this, the thing that I'm fearful about to, you know, change it so that, 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 that I'm less fearful. 
Um, and those are the tools that really help me to, uh, to dig down and find the root cause. And it all starts with inventory for me. I actually, I, I'm going I'm to pull Spencer here because I actually hear a lot of the steps in what you're saying. I hear step one, which is powerlessness. I hear steps two and three, which are my relationship with my higher power and trust. Mm-hmm. Um, remember when I worked six, I had to go back and work three again because I realized it was all about trust and my relationship with my higher power. I hear step four, of course, and, and five telling another person about it. And then I also hear eight and nine, which is, you know, do I need to make amends to myself or to someone else? And then, and then of course, it's also not just in our original step work, but it's part of, you know, step 10, taking that, that daily inventory. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I would throw in six and seven too, because for me, for me, well, because for me, step six turns out to be really important because it's in step mm-hmm. six that I own, I own my part. Mm-hmm. I, I really own my shortcomings, my character defects, my whatever, whatever the words are that are in, this, are in those steps. Um, if I don't take step six, I can't really effectively take step seven and ask for, for things to be relieved. And I think I can't effectively also do the amends steps because uh, if I'm not really owning my part, um, I can't do um, full amends. Absolutely. I think those steps are in that order for a reason. There's oh, yeah. there's a lot of logic there, and you, it really does require kind of the building process from one step to the next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what might you say to somebody who's who's just new in the program is just maybe recognizing their anger who doesn't believe that, that it's just going to happen. Like Carrie said, it, it felt evasive. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what might you say to that person about how working this program um, can help relieve or lessen their anger? I guess what I'd say is, is that they're not alone and they're not bad because they have that anger. And that a huge portion of this program would have, in one way or another, addresses those issues. And that the beauty of the program is that if they work it, they will find their own path, their own tools, their own way, a little bit at a time, and it, it will get better. And it's, that's the promise in our uh, closing or opening. I can't remember which. But it really, it, it's just one, that one little bit at a time. And over time, they'll see some pretty miraculous changes in themselves. Mm, thank you. After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. Our first musical selection, which you can listen to on the website at therecoveryshow.com slash 182, is One Step Closer by Lincoln Park. Um, this song, uh, it just, it describes completely this crazy, illogical, circular thinking and feeling of anger that I have when I'm uh, arguing with someone. Some of the lyrics are, I cannot take this anymore. I'm saying everything I've said before. All these words, they make no sense. I find bliss and ignorance. The less I hear, the less you'll say. You'll find that out anyway. 
everything you say to me takes me one step closer to the edge and I'm about to break. I need a little room to breathe because I'm one step close to the edge. I find the answers aren't so clear. Wish I could find a way to disappear. All these thoughts, they make no sense. I found bliss and ignorance. Nothing seems to go away over and over again. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. So, yes, life has been extremely busy. I find myself needing to consciously take time to unwind, to to depressurize, to chill. <laughs> and this week has been particularly busy during the week, the week, the five days, Monday to Friday. I think I had an event four evenings out of five that left me feeling somewhat without personal time. And in consequence, I stayed up too late and didn't get enough sleep. And that, of course, doesn't contribute, I'm sure. Some of them were good. Some of them were, you know, added some added some serenity to my life, and, and some of them didn't. But, uh, you know, it's life. And we're coming into even more into the holiday season and sort of thinking about those things that I think, as you said, you know, you have to do for the holiday season and and trying to really understand how many of those things I actually have to do. So yesterday, I knew this this winter storm that we're having today was coming. And there were a couple things I wanted to do outside yesterday before it came. One of those was to put new lights. We have a, a tree in front of the house and I wrap lights around the trunk. It actually has three trunks. So there's three separate sets of lights to, to wind up. And I had to take down the ones that were up there last year because if I don't take them down early enough in the spring, the squirrels start chewing on them. I think they think the lights are nuts and then they discover they're not, and but they leave the wires chewed through and then they don't work. So I had to take down the old ones and put up the new ones and it was 25 degrees outside. So that took uh, several several times going out and doing some and then coming in and warming up my fingers and going out and doing some and, and so on. And by the time I got to the end of that, I just didn't have the energy to do the other thing, which was to get the snowblower ready for the snow. Uh, and so um, I had to do that this morning between church and podcast because the storm's supposed to the storm is is actually getting worse as I'm sitting here. You know, I knew I had to do that and this is this is one of these things that that I've learned in recovery and it seems so so simple that when I have to do things, I need to do the first things first. That's actually a slogan, right? First things first. As you remember Pat, I texted you and said, hey, can we delay starting for a little bit so I can get this storm preparation done? And so I did that, and then here we are doing the podcast. So for me this way, it's kind of, um, I don't know, it's more how Al-Anon is kind of integrated into my into my day-to-day life. Yeah. So I, I usually have just one meeting that I go to on a weekly basis. And my husband and I have an agreement that when I work three 12-hour shifts in a row, that fourth night, I don't go to my meeting because he's already, I have missed three evenings with him. Um, and it's just getting so that I'm, I'm only getting to maybe a meeting once every two weeks sometimes because another day I'm working a 12 hour shift and I only get to the last half of a meeting. And, 
Um, I was really, I've been in Al-Anon for 12 years now. And honestly, I've been to one meeting once other than my home group. All my other meetings have been with my one single home group on one single night. And it's just gotten to this place where a light bulb went off and I realized, wait a minute, I could be home more evenings and I could probably go to more Al-Anon meetings if I became more flexible about that and started going to other meetings and other places in the town at different times and maybe during my days off because I get weekdays off sometimes. So that's kind of a nice little freedom. I just, I think it's a little point of growth where I just got to the place where I was, I was ready to do that. And that was, that was kind of cool. Um, another thing is that my husband and I have been together for eight years. So we came together much later in our lives, in our late forties. And so our finances were pretty independent. Um, and I've been thinking about this for a while and it, took a lot of Al-Anon and a lot of courage and a lot of working on unity of purpose, which is one of the, I think it's one of the concepts or traditions. And that has been really helpful because it's whenever we do those concepts um, in our meeting, it's always kind of like grown moan, you know, okay, you know, it's pretty dull stuff and it always ends up being a good meeting. And it's kind of come up from time to time. And I've also been working in my, my green workbook. So I was looking at that and thinking, you know, I, I oftentimes don't work towards a unity of purpose with my husband. I, that's something I should be doing and can do and could do a lot better job with. So I bit the bullet and brought up finances on our way over to Thanksgiving, which may seem like a very stupid time to do that. But it worked really well. We had this fabulous conversation for literally about two hours and then two or three hours animated conversation. The car is wonderful. So that was a real Al-Anon victory for me. And then um, I also have a couple sponsees that just because of the way life is, the kind of moving away from me and um, not really sponsoring them so much. And so that's kind of an interesting transition because I'm trying to figure out, you know, what are the shoulds on that? Should I have been better? Should I have been more active? Should I have reached out to them more? Did I do something that's, making this relationship less productive, less active, or is it just kind of a natural progression and, and they will continue to find help where they need it and they're moving on too. So that's kind of an interesting thing that I'm thinking about. So that was kind of my week. So unity of purpose, it it is traditions. I mean, tradition one. Okay personal progress for the greatest number depends upon unity. And then also, well, tradition five sort of expresses that unity of purpose to help families of alcoholics. And then tradition six talks about being diverted from our primary spiritual aim by outside uh, issues. And so it, it, it does permeate them. And I think I'm, I'm trying to think back to, to doing the, uh, the concepts with, with, Aquila a couple of years ago now and and I know that unity of purpose came up in our discussion of the concepts but it's not explicit in any of them looking forward uh, upcoming topics I, I want to do one about how am I trustworthy this came out of a meeting a couple of weeks ago where we talked about being trustworthy and I thought, oh that's a good topic 
questions to consider if you want to contribute. Do you gossip? How have you learned to keep confidences in recovery? And how is that an essential part of the Al-Anon program? And lots of other questions, I'm sure. Share your experience, strength and hope, your questions, your thoughts. Uh, You can leave a voicemail or send us an email. And Pat, how can people do that? Well, you can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. And call right now if you like, 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at com. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope or your questions about today's topic of anger or any of our upcoming topics, including trustworthiness. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. Spencer, where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? Well, that's our our website, which is therecoveryshow.com. It has all the information about the show there, including a contact page, which is, get this, therecoveryshow.com slash contact, that has all that information that Pat just read out about how to contact us with more detail. And also we have an occasional blog, links to the music that we talk about in each episode, and links to some other recovery podcasts and websites. I'm going to take another break before we look at our mailbag. And the second musical selection, which is also available on the website, is Angry Heart by Black Sabbath. And you know, I'm a, I am was a Black Sabbath fan when I was a teenager. I still enjoy listening to them on occasion, but I actually am not was not originally familiar with this this particular song. There's a lot of pre-Alanon stuff in here. This person in this song uh, seems to be trapped, maybe wanting and knowing there's a, a better way or a way out, but really not knowing what it is or how to get there. So this is this is where I was. You know, I had that angry heart before I found recovery. Some lyrics here. So many people who are dying to live, it tortures my heart. They've got so much to give. There has to be more, and there's no way to change this angry heart because all these fears will tear you apart. And it's been this way since time began. It's an endless journey. It's the fate of man to live each day and never understand. In a desperate search for a master plan, the years slip by like water through your hands. And wow, I just, <laughs> if I if I take me back a decade and a half, that's where I was. It, it so connects, I so connect with those feelings. All right, we got some some voicemails, some emails, some comments on the website. Let's start with uh, website comments. You want to read the short one from Sue? Sue left a comment on 2015 gratitude list, therecoveryshow.com slash gratitude2015. Thank you for sharing this gratitude list. I just found it today and it has inspired me to start my own list. I have four things written down so far. Blessings, Sue. Yeah, well, I'm glad I'm glad that it inspired you. That's sort of one of the reasons I posted it. It, it has been helpful to me to, to do that thing. I'm a, and you, do you do the gratitude list thing, Pat? I do. I really, I really enjoy it. And actually, I've started listening to all the podcasts in order way back then, starting at number one, which I had not done yet. And I, just this last week, I was listening and somebody had called in and suggested writing a gratitude essay instead of just a list. And I thought, I think I'm going to do that for my husband for Christmas, huh. is, is write a gratitude essay for him. 
Um, she said it just gets her much deeper into the gratitude um, than a single word. Although I think single words are very useful. They're a good tool. And oftentimes we need simple, short tools. I, you know, I don't remember that one now. Uh, Maria left a comment on the Keep It Simple episode, which was the recoveryshow.com slash 181. Hi, Spencer. I'm a relatively new listener, and I'm discovering that all of the topics I've listened to thus far have applied to my recovery program, which is AA. Thanks for your commitment. What you're doing is a tremendous service. The topic Keep It Simple is a good one for me and an excellent reminder, particularly now during the holiday season. It was only through recovery that I became aware of just how much of a control freak I was and that I always complicated things much more than they needed to be. I never thought I made my own chaos, but now I can look back and laugh at the times I made my life absolutely insane, with the best of intentions, of course. A prime example is when I planned my daughter's wedding. She left all the details up to me. How dangerous was that to do to an alcoholic? I chose it would be held on Peanut Island near West Palm Beach, Florida. Everything, and I mean everything, needed to be brought over by boat people, food and drink, the DJ and all his equipment, tables, chairs, flowers, decorations, etc. Everything. I didn't factor in that it would be March, and therefore the weather could potentially be very windy and unpredictable. And it was. Surprisingly, there were no catastrophes, and most everything went off without a hitch. But I had made myself so crazy that I don't remember most of it, and I certainly didn't enjoy myself. My program tells me not to regret the past or shut the door on it, and memories like this will help me to remember to keep it simple. Progress, not perfection. Thanks for all you do, Spencer. Yeah, I I hear you, Maria. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Any thoughts on Maria's letter? Oh, I think we talked about uh, the potential for that in the holiday season, too. Yeah, we did. Certainly, it is not isolated to alcoholics who do that. No, it's not. No, it's not. Um, we got uh, an email from Kate. You want to read it? Sure. Kate says, I have really enjoyed exploring your podcast, getting some recovery on the go. I know that you invite feedback, so I'm going to give you some because I really think you're doing a great thing. We need good quality podcasts on recovery topics. The feedback I have for you is that your own input, your own talks are way too dominant. The best, most inspiring episodes I've listened to so far are the open talks where a guest speaker tells their story or talks on a topic. I especially enjoyed the Don C. episode. That was fantastic. I encourage you to continue on with a more intentional effort to bring in other voices, diverse voices. Perhaps you could have every other episode be someone other than yourself. Take what you want and leave the rest, as they say. Thanks for your good work. Best, Kate. And and thanks for that feedback, Kate. I have to say, I, I really want to have diverse voices here. For me, it's a matter of what I have the time and the energy to do. Um, and it's interesting about the, the open talk episodes because I sort of f- have often felt like those are almost cheating because I just take what's all the hard work somebody else has done and, and, and sort of slap an envelope around it and, and send it out. Um, so I'm glad to hear that you, you enjoy those actually the most so far. And, uh, yeah, that's maybe that's one of those, um, Things for the new year to try to come back to, to having more more voices participating in the program. Um, and I think what that means for me is working on one of my character defects about not planning far enough ahead for things, doing things in the last minute, procrastination, still there. 
because what happens is it comes to like Friday. I'm like, oh, geez, I got to do a podcast this weekend. Um, I haven't talked to anybody about helping me reach out to a couple of friends. Nope, they're busy. Well, um, guess I'll do it myself. Okay, here we go. Uh, so, you know, I guess I have to be gentle with myself here, but uh, I, I, I also would like to have more diverse voices in, in the show. Uh, and I do work towards that when I can. Thanks. Well, it, it does seem like you are, I mean, every single episode you always are asking for other people to reach out. And every time I've offered to work with you, I've always gotten a yes. So, um, I, and, and I like the open talks, but I think this is one where it's kind of like, should it be a, an official Al-Anon meeting or not? Because I'd be interested to hear what other people think in some ways. Yeah. I really like it when you have guests guests who work who talk with you for me i really like the conversation um, between you and other people not so much the open talks for me personally Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i think there's other other benefits um to hearing your consistent voice and and take on things okay so here's a here's a question uh for you the listener what what do you like what would you like to hear more of what would you like to hear less of thanks Uh, We got uh, a voicemail from Carrie. Hi, this is Carrie from Texas. I'm leaving a voicemail from the website. This is my first time doing it. I hope it works. Just listened to the most recent episode, Keep It Simple, episode 181. And thank you so much for bringing that across my radar. It's, It's a really, really big one for me. To me, it speaks to what I learned, which was to be really hyper vigilant and to really notice that for myself to notice when I'm doing that and take a pause and see how I I don't need to do that anymore. So it's really wonderful. I'm going to listen to the episode again. And a gentleman called in, I think his name was Aaron, and spoke to something that I think many people have felt one time or another is what I heard him say is that, you know, 12-step program is really helping him. And, you know, how can we possibly share that with a loved one. So for me, I can speak to my experience with that. Well, first, I think what Spencer said about it was really spot on and really wonderful. And for me, I've been in Al-Anon now two years. As of Monday, my husband had done AA, I think about 20 years ago, and has said that he's not interested in doing that right now. And as I learned about Al-Anon, or, you know, learned while I was in Al-Anon, I kept thinking like, gosh, this would be so wonderful for him as well. And so, you know, living together is, you know, just communication can be difficult sometimes. And so we had tried a different therapist and it was like kind of okay, but it wasn't really helping so much. And, you know, the whole money thing, you know, the expense of it, so I was like, well, you know, Al-Anon is free, you know, come with me. And so that was my take on it. So the day came, looking back, in my opinion, and I'm checking myself, I don't want to kind of do his inventory, but it felt to me like he um, picked a fight that morning. We met there and I felt like he was pretty angry sitting next to me. And 
coincidence or not, um, haha, it wasn't the topic, but a lot of people were talking about what brought them into Al-Anon. And so there I was sitting next to my perspective, a grumpy husband who I kind of felt like I sold him to come, you know, like it's free and thinking, huh, what would he say? You know, I'm here because of my wife. And I was like, that's, that's not that great. That's not ideal. Right. And so, you know, that, that, that was the meeting. And, you know, later in the day when we had time to talk about it, I mentioned that to him, I guess like a mini amends or something. And he was like, yeah, I didn't get that much out of it. And I don't want to go back. I felt really bummed. And I really, with time, really see, you know, that we, I, I needed to get there. I knew about Al-Anon. I went to undergraduate school for social work and 12 step is mentioned in there. You know, when I first moved in with my now husband, you know, there was drinking. So I knew all about Al-Anon and I just didn't go in the door until fast forward 15 years later. So I just wanted to share that in case it is helpful in any way to anybody. And so what I can do is, you know, keep it in the hula hoop, as we say in Al-Anon, and do my program. And I have a lot of opportunities. My husband is really my biggest teacher. I was just thinking about it today. I was, you know, kind of cleaning up the house a bit and we share a desk and it's really big and there's a lot of space and I can't, see the thing. (laughs) It's like covered in stuff that we both need to do. Honestly, my go-to, my reaction is like, oh my God, look at his side of the desk. Let me move his stuff over, at least make a pile of the papers. Am I looking at my side? You know, that's kind of how I think about it is that what I can do right now is my program. And whenever I feel a little bit, that little sensation of like, I wish you'd come I am like, all right, let me work my steps. Just bring it back into me. And I am seeing the benefits in our entire family. Thanks, Carrie. You've, you've echoed so much that uh, I think I, I've experienced. I tried to get various people in my family to, to go to Al-Anon and, uh, you know, they weren't interested or they went for a little while. And then they, like, like my kid um, who went to Al-Anon when, they were having issues with their roommate and they went to, I don't know, four or five meetings and decided, Oh, what I need to do is like move out. And then they were done. The experience for, of going to a meeting with one's spouse that happens with me occasionally, particularly when we're visiting my parents, there's, there's a couple of meetings on, on Friday at noon. There's an AA meeting and an LNA meeting. They're about half a mile apart. But we often find ourselves leaving the house late and in one car, and we get to the Alana meeting. She's like, I'll just come in. Usually when I'm visiting my parents, the main thing that's on my mind is my relationship with my parents, so that works out okay. But I think in a, in a regular meeting, I would feel inhibited to really say what's on my mind. It's the same thing. It's letting them, I think it's that, that what is it, the something not pr- promotion, what is it? Attraction, not promotion. Yeah. Um, and I think that's for me kind of where I landed. Um, both of my kids, I think 
would really benefit from Al-Anon for their age 26 and 32. The oldest one went to some meetings at for a while and liked them, but then didn't continue. And I understand that just like with Carrie, you know, 15 years, that's not uncommon for people in their middle age to find Al-Anon. So simply work the program for myself. The one thing I do to promote it is if somebody says, oh, you're doing, you know, this is really great, or I appreciate this about you or something like that. And I can say, honestly, you know, it's because I'm going to Al-Anon. It's it's my, I tell people it's my cheap group therapy, (laughs) but um, that's my, that's my attraction. I am, you know, what you see and you like, it's there because of Al-Anon. And my kids certainly have seen growth in me. So I'm hopeful that at some point in time they'll find it, but it really does have to be attraction. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I still, I still keep hoping my daughter will eventually be attracted, but it hasn't happened. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery show, but we do have expenses, which run about $60 per month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly just like Melissa and Tamlin did. And thank you, Melissa and Tamlin, for that. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of the links will help us. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, just direct them to therecoveryshow.com, or listening to us. We are here for you. So our last song selection is You Can't Always Get What You Want by the Rolling Stones, and you can listen to it at therecoveryshow.com slash 182. So when I was looking for songs about anger, big surprise, all I found were angry songs and so i thought that's not how i wanted this to end so i looked up songs about conflict resolution and there is this really cool blog i'm hoping spencer can put a link to it on the web page and this author asked for songs about conflict resolution she ended up with two long playlists Uh, one is mellow and one is lively Uh, so this song was on that and and so in this song Uh, Mick Jagger describes a number of frustrating situations, not the least of which is his relationship with an ex-girlfriend, but all of them resolve with these great lines. You can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, well, you might find you get what you need. And it just seemed like a nice little summary of how. Thanks. Yeah. I love that. Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.